Hello, everybody, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you. Wherever you may be, this is your host, Bruce Ash, along with co-host... Ed Wilkinson. ...and special guest... Bob Wells. ...welcoming you to the mother of all special editions of Inside Track. Eb? Thanks for tuning in this afternoon. We've got another action-packed show for you today about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. In just a minute, former NSC spokesman John Elliott joins us to set up a few of the topics for today's show. After we hear from John, we'll spend the balance of the show with retired U.S. Navy Captain, former National Security Advisor, God, great titles, to Vice President Dick Cheney and frequent Fox contributor Robert Wells. We welcome you to our calls today on the Corazon Cabinet's talk line at 790-2040. Before we get rolling, let me remind you uh, the uh, Inside Track is brought to you by the great supporters, Eric Rudin at Essential Pest, who shares your dislike of bugs, vermin, and weeds. Jamie and Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Their junk is your treasure. And Joy and Allie at Corazon Cabinets. High-quality cabinets for your home that you will love at a price you can afford. And you can reach Joy and Allie at 488-2266. <laughs> Also supporting Inside Track is my smart-ass friend and Inside Track co-host, Eb Wilkinson from Wilkinson Wealth Management. Let Eb help you never have to depend upon Social Security. Call him at 777-1911. All of our sponsors are locally owned, family-run businesses. You can depend upon Eb and I do, so should you. John uh, Elliott is on the line waiting. Actually, he's here. Uh, John is the former White House National Security Council spokesman and deputy assistant to President Donald J. Trump. He also served as an assistant secretary of veteran affairs and as communications director for the Senate Armed Services Committee. Also some good titles, eh, Eb? Absolutely. Uh, most, most, but important most importantly, is he's a former U.S. Uh, excuse me, he is a U.S. Marine veteran, uh, where he served as an intelligence officer, scout, sniper, platoon commander, and Marine liaison officer to the French Foreign Legion. That should be uh, for a whole show some other time. John. Absolutely, Semper Fi, brother. <laughs> John, hey, you with us? Semper Fi, Evan Bruce. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for joining us uh, today, John. Hey, defense, uh, U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin on Friday said that the U.S. has seen a number of missteps by Russia in its invasion of Ukraine. But isn't the real story about how President Biden, Defense Secretary Austin himself, and Secretary of State Blinken continue to lead from behind in Ukraine? Absolutely, Bruce. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. The main issue right now is if you take a step back, we would never be in this situation if Putin didn't sense weakness by Biden early on. I mean, it's just over a year now that he's been in office, maybe a year and 100 days or so. And very early on, we remember China lecturing the Biden team, Jake Sullivan and Tony Blinken up in Alaska on race and our human rights record. Then we had few months later, the disastrous pullout of Afghanistan. And then with, with Putin himself, Biden telegraphed big-time weakness by letting, for the first time, the, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline be completed. And that was something that was completely on ice when President Trump was in office. And he absolutely just had sanctions on any completion of that Nord Stream 2 pipeline. So if once again, if you take a step back, that President Trump is the only president out of four in the 21st century where Putin did not invade a foreign country. True. Under Bush, in the last year, he invaded Georgia. Under, Ob 
under Obama, Biden, he invaded Crimea. Then he did nothing under Trump because he knew that President Trump meant business. And then sure enough, once again, he built up a number of troops in the last six months since the Afghanistan debacle and president and just went right into Ukraine. And Biden is paying the price and we're all paying the price right now. And we'll be in higher gas prices and and in uh, let alone all the human rights violations that are going on in Ukraine itself. So it is a disaster, but we need to keep in mind what happened and why we are where we are, because it's because of the Biden and his team telegraphed weakness early on. So, John, can we agree maybe that while America and NATO likely risk expanding the Russian war by imposing a no-fly zone in Ukraine, uh, there are many other strategies which could be used to help Ukraine uh, on and off the battlefield to help fight the Russian army. You've worked inside the belly of the beast uh, at the NSC. What are your thoughts, man? Well, Bruce, what I would say is that is that we have a situation right now where we're actually doing a lot from under Trump and it's been continued under Biden, which is supplying Javelin missiles and other other defense weapons that the Ukrainians can use against Putin and his forces. And that was completely not done under Obama and Biden. Once again, during that time, the Ukrainians were just given ponchos and helmets and completely just no defensive capability whatsoever. That changed under President Trump. Fortunately, it's been continued by the Biden team and by Lloyd Austin, the SecDef. But to your question, in terms of imposing a no-fly zone, I do not think that from what we can tell at all, that that's, A, a good idea because it would involve NATO aircraft patrolling over there. But not, but the second thing that is possible and that a lot of people are calling for, particularly in the Senate, is the supply of these Polish MiG fighters directly to the Ukrainians so that they can impose their own no-fly zone so that it's not NATO pilots doing that, but it's actually they have more of a capability than they have right now. They have a handful of planes right now but this would give them a much more robust capability if if we were able to provide them or if Poland was able to provide them these MiG fighters. So, uh, John, on the whole MiG controversy, everybody was in favor in NATO, I, I think. I don't want to overstep, but I think everybody in NATO, uh, the, the uh, Polish and, and others, were in favor of this MiG uh, sort of transfer, and Biden vetoed it. I mean, what... What could he yeah, possibly be thinking? I mean, was it just just super averse to any kind of risk whatsoever? Absolutely. Well, what's even worse is that you had Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, actually was on a Sunday program one week ago, and, and that's when he said, yeah, we're going to provide the MiGs. He said green light to the MiGs, 100%. And then it was a day later that the Pentagon persuaded Biden to put the brakes on that. So they're basically talking out of both sides of their mouth here, and it's a bipartisan push from the Senate and House, but mainly the Senate. There's a number of senators who are over in Poland, actually, this weekend, and they have reiterated the desire to have from both parties to have those planes sent there yesterday. So you're absolutely right that it was it was terrible leadership, and it was talking out of both sides of their mouth. And once again, this is exactly wh- why we are where we are, because of this negative this leading from behind that Biden and his team have have demonstrated to the world. 
Uh, John, my co-host Ed Wilkinson, as you might have uh, expected from before, is a fellow Marine, an aviator, and uh, he has a, a question or two for you. So, John, Semper Fi, uh, oh, Semper Fi. Even former Obama official Ben Rhodes admits that Biden's Putin strategy is not working, and China has been threatening Taiwan with reunification again. So, while Biden's talking with uh, Xi on the phone, a Chinese aircraft carrier is cruising up and down the Formosa Straits. And we see what's happening to Ukraine without giving them the support they need in time. Taiwan could be next. So Red China has this huge advantage in military strength right now. What should Biden and our allies do now to avoid another act of aggression against a sovereign country by another stronger communist power? Well, Ed, that's a great question. And to his credit, Biden did have a two-hour conversation with President Xi yet just yesterday. Uh, forget it was China time, so they had to work out because they're 12 hours ahead of us. But bottom line is that Biden did telegraph, according to the, the brief readout that was given, there was, wasn't a lot of detail. There was just a readout that was given. He did draw a line and say, look, President Xi, do not, first of all, on Ukraine do not supply the Putin or any of the Russians with anything that would go around our sanctions, number one. So that's directly with Ukraine. But if he did not, and it wasn't part of the readout, but if he, if Biden did not make a very clear line with Xi about what the consequences would be for any action in terms of instability or threatening Taiwan, then he wasn't doing his job because the Taiwanese are have been very strong in terms of telegraphing to uh, China that they are strong and they came through the China virus very well by shutting down any type of interaction uh, internationally. And there we have President Xi once again threatening, to your point, Ed, that they're threatening the airspace as well as to have an absolute war because they sense weakness from the west in what's going on in ukraine right now so number one we need to be strong on ukraine generally and that includes once again providing the fighters and other steps that we are taking right now but number two is make very clear to president xi that there's going to be a huge price to pay if there's any action on Taiwan so that he doesn't get the wrong idea and can think that that is another area that he can push forward on. Because once again, from early on in the administration, the Biden administration in Alaska, we telegraphed weakness to President Xi. We also did so by not holding anybody accountable, the Chinese Communist Party, for unleashing the virus on the world that's killed, by the way, almost one million Americans to date. It's, we're almost getting up to one million Americans that have been killed by that. And there was just crickets from the Biden administration and President Biden himself about holding Xi or any of his cronies in the Chinese Communist Party accountable for unleashing that virus on the U.S. and the rest of the world. Yeah. Hey, uh, John, we've got with us former, I'm sorry, retired Navy Captain Bob Wells, uh, advisor to uh, Vice President Dick Cheney on national security. He's got a couple of things to talk with you about. Bob? Hi, John. And I think your point with regard to the uh, discussion with uh, President Xi and, and President Biden is well taken, but do you think the president could have used his time to reach out to the German 
uh, chancellor, the new chancellor, to talk about the rising profile of Germany and looking at continuing to build that coalition that's needed politically in order to get Mr. Putin on his step back. And then, uh, final point, thank God for President Zelensky and his courageous leadership in Ukraine. Absolutely, Bob. That's a, that's a great question. So in terms of what we can be doing in in demonstrating s- strength with with uh, Zelensky and holding the line with Zelensky, we already talked about the MiGs, we talked about the fighters there, etc. But to your point on Germany, that's very smart that you raised that because Germany had been getting closer to Russia and kind of reestablishing that relationship and really leaving the U.S. out of that and and that's with this new leadership that was there. But but President Biden, once again, he gave in to the Chinese. Uh, sorry, he gave in to the the Russians and the and the Germans in allowing them to complete the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which it has been now completed and it's just about to be turned on. But now you have the a lot of pressure in Germany for them to dial back any sort of interaction with Putin and his cronies there. So if you look at what is happening, there are some very good signs with Germany, even though early on it was not so good, that there's a lot of pressure from within their own country to be strong against Putin on Ukraine. And there's a lot of outrage about what's going on there. But they, once again, if you look back, the Germans three, four, five years ago under Angela Merkel, they took their they took their nuclear system offline for uh, for all intents and purposes and and took them out of having any nuclear power plants there which made them twice as dependent on putin and his oil stream coming in and they also have this chancellor former chancellor schroeder who's basically in bed with putin yeah, he's in bed he's, he's he's a co a co-captain on the on the nord stream 2 team for crying out loud right Exactly. Exactly. And he's he sold. I mean, he's he sold himself. Uh, he sold himself to the highest bidder in yep. Putin right when he left office. It was literally he was just leaving office and and announced that he was going to go work for Nord Stream Two pipeline. And uh, now he's almost persona non grata in in his own country of because there's such a, a strong reaction to that. So it sounds like things are headed back in the right direction with Germany, but that was not for them. Uh, taking really bad steps, whether on nuclear power or on have, on cooperating directly with Putin and trying to get that relationship going again. So it's something we absolutely need to watch on this side. And I think that with Biden and his team, hopefully they'll take the right steps in terms of strengthening that that call for Germany to isolate Putin even more than they are so far. Why would Angela Merkel deliberately take Germany off of nuclear power? It's the Green New well, Deal, man. Uh, there's a yeah, <laughs> Green New Deal. There's a lot of green uh, push for essentially just like the left in the U.S. Uh, want to get us off off of nuclear power when that is something that is completely keeping us independent as a uh, uh, in terms of our electric grid more than about anything else. So you always have the left pushing us to. And it's the cheapest form of, of uh, yes. electrical power. And so it's something that we need to continue with. But for whatever reason, the uh, left and we have John Kerry. That's another thing we could spend half an hour oh, talking dear about. dear God. John Kerry. And, 
and what he did. Yeah, don't 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 send us down that rabbit hole. Him and him and the other green idiot show up uh, talking about Ukraine earlier this week, talking about the the environmental disaster that it has created. You know, irrespective of how many people have been killed, at it, least he's helping out by flying in his own private jet. Yeah. Hey, hey, John, thanks very exactly. much. Thanks very much for joining us. We've got to get to our first break. Uh, appreciate you visiting, visiting with us this afternoon. and hope you'll uh, come back soon, maybe after the crisis uh, continues. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, it, it may be a while. Mr. Producer, let's go ahead and take our first break and hear messages from our great supporters. When we return, we'll continue our discussion on the Russian war in Ukraine with retired Navy captain and former... Um, uh, advisor to uh, uh, Dick Cheney at the NSC, Bob Wells. We welcome your calls on. Uh, <laughs> we welcome your calls on the Corazon Cabinet's talk line at seven nine zero two zero four zero. You're listening to Inside Track. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Jamie Kipper and her father Gary Kipper from Tucson Iron and Metal. What are they going to see when they come through the gates? So when they come on in, they'll see our building up front. People have free reign to then go out and look in the yard. So it's not a typical scrapyard with a ton of big machinery. We have a couple of forklifts around, but that's about it just to help move material. So when you come in, it's all organized by material, whether it's square tubing, angle iron, roofing. And then there is a pile in the back, which is still organized and easy to get through. But that's stuff that comes over from the scrap. So we're unique in that we get stuff in from the scrap, which a lot of artists and people will like or reuse, whether it's a sink that someone needs for their house we sell literally anything made of metal. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you think what's happening in Ukraine can't happen here, think again. Look who's occupying the White House. This is one of many things our forefathers predicted and ensured those rights in our Constitution. We manage money for gun owners. Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. Welcome back to Inside Track. Bruce is here. I'm here. Our special guest, Navy Captain Bob Wells, is here. And uh, you've probably seen a lot of him on Fox News uh, lately. Uh, hey, Bob, uh, we've been discussing the Russian war in Ukraine and the reaction by American uh, and European allies. Uh, there's been a lot of good news in the past several hours from the Ukraine. Tell us about that. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Eb. And, and for... All the listeners out there, obviously the pictures uh, tell an important story with regard to the ruthlessness of the Russians. However, they don't have momentum. In fact, the report from last evening indicates that the Russian forces did not conduct any offensive operations northwest of Kiev on March 18th. That's an important development for everyone who's been watching the news. Uh, President Zelensky is still alive. 
Also, the morale of the Russian forces have been, quote, significantly exhausted in their human resources. Great deal of battle casualties. Uh, even Russian uh, officers talking about self-mutilation to avoid deployment and psychological factors. And then finally, the Ukrainian forces, another success down there by the Crimea. There's a town called Mykolaiv in the past several days. They conducted a counteroffensive, and that, that town has returned to Ukrainian normalcy, Ukrainian control. And that's control. been under, under constant back and forth constant now for back about the forth. last two weeks, basically. Absolutely, but they halted their advance, and this is one of the key objectives down here to go further than the original Ukraine objective that they had in 2014 and eastern Ukraine and move their way in on the way to Odessa, the port, which right. uh, transports uh, most of the exports for Ukraine with wheat. Right. Right. So you've got President Zelensky, who basically said, don't give me a ride, give me ammunition. Yes. He has basically rallied that country from what could be a total devastation to where they're kicking Russia's butt. They're, he's rallied his country, he's rallied his armed forces. Uh, they've taken out uh, four uh, Russian generals, which is critically important to understand the military operations since the Russians are organized in these new brigade combat uh, teams. And these uh, particular teams have the responsibility of leading from the front and they have to tell people what to do. That's why they were killed. They were so close to the actual battles. The United States on our tradition leads uh, and lets our uh, junior personnel and our and our field grade officers lead in the Marine Corps, the Army. And uh, they train us for that. They train us for it, and the Russians are trained differently. So this is really an important outcome. It's probably the one time it's good to lead from behind. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, that's that's right. But this this is all the dynamic on the ground. The longer this goes, and the momentum continues to be stalled, uh, Mr. Putin has has uh, not many options with regard to the uh, capabilities inside Ukraine. Another concern is, uh, it was talked about this last week, is that Chechnya and the example of Chechnya and Grozny, remembering the uh, military operations in 2008, right. uh, the Chechens are coming into Ukraine now, the most, most ruthless, uh, which could portend additional civilian casualties, killing of women and children. And finally, we just don't trust Putin even though he says that they're going to allow refugee corridors uh, going in through Leeds. Well, he's already shelled some of those corridors and, 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 and disabled rail lines and so on. He has. Disabled rail lines down in Mariupol along the Azov Sea there uh, killed many civilians. He just hit leave last evening. So, uh, so and, and earlier this week we saw on the news, and it wasn't just Fox, it was everywhere in the news, um, there's, a, there's a large auditorium um, and it has um, signals, really uh, large, large sort of signs, if you will, on the ground for any drone, for any uh, aircraft that might be thinking of attacking it, that there are children there. And they just blew the living bejesus out of the place. Luckily, there were people in the, in the basement uh, of that facility. We, we know that there are several hundred that probably are still in there. We don't know what their fate is. They've had, I think, about 130 or 150 people they pulled out so far. But, I mean, this is, this is an atrocity sort of a situation. And, you know, the last time, I think it was in Mariupol, where they bombed a women's uh, uh, you know, birthing clinic, a hospital. A hospital. Yeah. Yes. They, cl they claimed, you know, that, uh, that there were Ukrainian troops and, and different uh, materiel that was being stored there. Well, this is the key point that you've just made, uh, Bruce, is the fact is they are indiscriminate. 
they're not using their actual ISR, their in intelligence and surveillance, uh, to put that with precision guide munitions. Military uh, experts on the American side and the NATO side uh, cite the uh, lack of professional conduct in terms of warfare by the Russian forces. So you've got this indiscriminate killing. You've got uh, places that have been off limits by UN convention, including churches and the maternity ward and hospitals, and then the women and children. Uh, so you can expect more of this, especially when you hear now that you're going to have Grozny-like, you know, Chechen leadership coming and taunting from the air base outside Kiev and also using the same ruthless artillery uh, that they've got in place to continue to shell cities. Well, that shouldn't surprise us at all that Russia's doing that. It doesn't. It, it really doesn't. I mean, the U.S. has been very good in all its major conflicts to deliberately a avoid uh, casualties of noncombatants. That's right. Russia, yeah. of course, wants to provide so much devastation uh, to get Ukraine just to surrender. Well, as John mentioned in the last segment, too, it's been over the last, uh, you know, from 2008 when you had uh, Grozny, and then you had uh, also the same year you had um, Georgia. Georgia, and then 2014 you had uh, Crimea and eastern Ukraine. Right. So this is their way of war. And uh, So anybody, if you want to call in, if you have an opinion or a thought or a question on what's going on in Ukraine and our response uh, to it, give us a call, 790-2040. That's 790-2040. Um, so last week, Bob, we had a Republican candidate for U.S. Congress here, uh, Eli Crane, uh, and we talked about the Ukrainian request for a no-fly zone. Our guest was a former Navy SEAL. I don't know if you've met, had a chance to meet him. Uh, he served many deployments in Iraq and, Af and Afghanistan and God knows where else. Uh, when, when asked the question about no-fly zone, uh, he paused. Eb, you remember? He got very, very quiet. And he cautioned that America must remain, these are his words, very calm, very calm, and not risk expanding the war or getting into a kinetic battle ourselves uh, as a result of this no-fly zone. I assume you have an opinion on this. I do, and I think uh, that's the proper uh, posture or the proper position to take. If you look at the actual uh, capabilities required to be on the ground to do a no-fly zone, you need to have an airfield, you need to have forward uh, controllers, you need to have uh, air early warning, and this is all within the airspace of Ukraine. So you, you have a risk assessment that's done with regard to engagement against the Russians. Uh, even though we were requested by President Zelensky and the Ukraine Defense Forces to come in to provide a, a, a no-fly zone, it'd be very difficult to do without having American boots on the ground. And, and the logistics required to do that, right from, from right now, there's no way we could do it in a week. Yes, and also you had other these other things electronically. You need beacon video processing. You need identification friend or foe. Also, in this particular circumstance, we need to continue to isolate Mr. Putin. If the United States makes that type of a formal decision, uh, he'll certainly know about it ahead of time. And then he says, see, look at the Americans. NATO is now involved with this. We need to liberate the Ukrainian uh, uh, people. Know from from this violence, and that's and that's that is the biggest hoax uh, that that this guy you know has been perpetrating. That he is that he is really he's the uh, he's the liberator coming in to save them from these Nazis. Yes, sir. I mean the whole thing is just I mean you, it's it's like a cheap novel. 
You know, it's like one of these, you know, almost like an old Tom Clancy novel, you know, where, where this kind of stuff yeah. is going on. Hey, Ab- Bob, l- let me expand on that a bit. Okay, so Eli Crane said we n- must remain very calm, uh, be careful not to get involved and have this thing expand. You kind of agree on that, but let me take it further than that. In your view, what would cause you to say we need to get involved? What has to happen for you to say it's time for the U.S. to get involved and join the battle? I mean, it's essentially World War Three at that point. It is, and, and some people have already called it World War Two and a half. Mm. Uh, but I think uh, for us to get involved, obviously you've got nuclear, chemical, biological, nuclear, red lines, which would be the gross loss of uh, civilian life. But I also think that we need to do more need to have a little bit more imagination as a country working with the European allies, and in particular, Putin does not command Ukraine. President Zelensky does. He's a sovereign leader of, of Ukraine. He's still in Kiev. So we should continue to provide the lethal aid that, we've, that they have requested. Uh, it's been working quite well with the Javelins, also with the Stinger missiles for the helicopters. Uh, there's other capabilities that can be provided with regard to ammunition. We need to step up our game on the humanitarian side. I think we need to be very imaginative. Uh, I voiced this uh, on one of the TV shows I was on uh, a couple weeks ago, but I I focused on American leadership in humanitarian affairs. And if you look at our history, with Europe in particular, Herbert Hoover with the Belgian relief effort in after World War One, right. and then the bi- the bipartisanship of President Truman, who Marshall I think Marshall Plan, Marshall Plan, and the example, and also Hoover was then in involved again with uh, strengthening Europe. I think that kind of uh, that kind of uh, idea needs to have uh, some stronger uh, thought and advocacy within the National Security Council. I think Condi Rice, former Secretary of State, a specialist during uh, Bush 41 administration against the Soviet Union, knows Mr. Putin, knows the Russian Federation, can separate the Russian people from the government itself, would be a very strong candidate and have a lot of political clout with what's needed, Europe needs to continue to rise with regard to its containment or its uh, support for the refugees, but also containment of the Russian effort. So let's talk further, kind of going back into the Wayback Machine for a second. So we had a no-fly zone in Iraq before the before the war started there. Um, well, it really wasn't much of a need for one because I think they had stood down all of the aircraft, feeling that they get blown out of the sky. Uh, if they did go up in the air, uh, so not much of a risk or as much of a risk to, to U.S. or allied aircraft. Um, I think there were no-fly zones in the Serv- uh, Serbia, uh, Bosnia, Herzegovina. Uh, you know, all that business going on in the 90s. Again, not much in the way of resistance. I mean, the, our our air forces and navy uh, airplanes, you know, pretty much ruled the skies there. I think. Am I am I remembering right? You you've got it. Yes. Right. So I mean, there wasn't much resistance there. Um, I think uh, in Syria, we also there was there was a no fly zone imposed there as well. There was there was on the western uh, on the eastern part of Syria there around Dar el Zarir, which is the border with Iraq and the oil producing region of Syria. Right on. Okay. This is a much different situation because we have. Um, uh, Belarusian, uh, for all intents and purposes, Russian aircraft in Belarus. Uh, they're obviously from Russia itself. I mean, the amount of air power that could be unleashed uh, by the Russians uh, would probably be a significant increase in, in the hostilities. If you put a no-fly zone into into effect, 
that means you have to be prepared to shoot somebody down. Yes. If they if they uh, you know uh, come into that airspace, are you uh, going back to what you said to Ab a second ago? Would that change then if there was a, a, a tactical you know low uh, yield kind of a nuclear uh, device used or chemical or biological? I mean, would that be even what the Europeans would agree? the no-fly zone should be imposed? Or at that point in time, is it all at war? I think it's both. I think you have to impose a no-fly zone. It would be uh, a war declaration to some sort of a uh, in engagement to actually establish uh, the new boundaries uh, for the Russian military effort inside Ukraine. I also think it takes on a... You have to get the authority. You, right. have, to, you have to have the UN Security Council authority. You'll likely have the Chinese and the Russians abstain, since the other permanent five members, uh, France, UK, etc. Uh, we can go to the General Assembly and vote and and speak to the conventions uh, at work with regard to nuclear, biological, chemical, also the harm to civilians. Also, we have a duty to protect. So these these are all authorities, uh, Bruce, that would be in play if you had that type of circumstance. Finally. Uh, you do have, uh, you know, surface-to-air missiles also, uh, not just aircraft, and we are going to send the uh, Iron Dome, I think, right. and as well as the uh, Patriot batteries to support protection of civilians around cities. So uh, I think there are red lines there. I think, uh, as was previously discussed, we don't need to tell. H.R. McMaster actually talked about this this week, also the former National Security Advisor, President Trump. We don't need to telegraph Mr. Putin everything. We need to be the United States. Right a little bit smarter with regard to superpower, strategic ambiguity, and diplomacy. Right on. Hey, we got a couple of callers in. But I think before we oh, do that, Tom, you know we, we're way overdue for a break as usual. Let's go to our break, and when we come back, we'll take some calls. we got Mark. we got Len on the, on the line. And uh, we'll be right back with uh, Inside Track. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m., and Saturdays, 8 a.m. to noon. Tucson Iron and Steel Retail, 701 East 36th Street. Call 520-209-1576 or go to TucsonIronRetail.com. And when you do call, mention this ad and receive an additional 10% discount on their already great prices. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets. Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you think what's happening in Ukraine can't happen here, think again. Look who's occupying the White House. This is one of many things our forefathers predicted and ensured those rights in our Constitution. We manage money for gun owners. 
Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com. Inside Track, Bruce is here with Eb. We've got Bob Wells with us. Uh, we're going to take Mark uh, as our first caller. Mark, you're uh, on with uh, Bob Wells. What's your question or comment? Yeah, a couple of two things. So first off, uh, the Black Sea. It took uh, many weeks for Putin to get his Navy positioned in the Black Sea, and, and nobody did anything about that. And, um, and, of course, they're firing on Ukraine from the Black Sea. They are. And it wouldn't be difficult at all to uh, take out that part of Putin's Navy. And I don't know if they're going to do that, but um, it should be done. And the, the Black Sea shores are uh, connected with um, NATO countries. And um, I don't know where the uh, exact boundaries are, but if um, the Putin ships ever cross any kind of a boundary, they should be immediately sank. And uh, that's what Putin did to the Ukrainian Navy in the Black Sea. So, uh, so, so, you know, Mark, uh, uh, while we're in break, Bob had mentioned something that was, uh, I thought, very uh, provoking, uh, thought-provoking. He talked about the levels of uh, Russian uh, readiness at this time. Uh, we've heard some things, you know, in the news that he is, you know, increasing his, his deterrence and so on. Um, but he has not done so with his, with his submarines. That, Bob, why don't you explain why that would be such a critical uh, difference? Yes, uh, thank you. And I'll, I'll respond to the question as well, Mark. But on the point about the Russian Federation Navy and what Mr. Putin declared with regard to readiness of his nuclear forces, he also specified that it was land forces, and he has to give a warning order to the Russian Federation land force commanders that have the responsibility for tactical nuclear weapons ground base. Uh, per our Secretary of Defense, uh, Lloyd Austin, plus uh, other uh, information that I've read, uh, he has not given the same warning order to our to his submarine ballistic uh, missiles. Looking at uh, the Black Sea, uh, if you look at obviously the Crimea, if you look at Novorossiysk, which is the other port, it's got 20 uh, Russian Federation vessels there. He was able to mobilize very quickly. The Black Sea, in terms of warship passage, is governed by the Montreux Convention, which is a 1936 convention. The Turks actually secured the uh, Dardanelles and the Straits there from, from warship passage. Turkey, as you know, is, as you mentioned, is a, is a NATO country. Romania is Finally well. acting like a NATO uh, country they, right they, now. They are. And, about time. They, they are. And, uh, could they be sunk? Yes. Uh, it would obviously be a red line, to, I think, to the Russian Federation to, to do something of uh, reciprocity, uh, not just against the Ukraine, but uh, against the United States, the U.S. Navy, the Sixth Fleet, uh, they're also operating, as you know, off of uh, uh, Tartus, Syria, and uh, have their uh, standing uh, task force in the eastern Mediterranean right there. So uh, our sixth fleet would then be, uh, you know, could be endangered with regard to the Russian response. So the Black Sea is, is what it is. We'd still, well, what's our course of action to support the Ukrainians, to support uh, what they've done in uh, the counteroffensive uh, in Mykolaiv, and to keep Odessa free, and to continue to get the uh, anti-tank missiles and uh, and support uh, the, the the Ukrainian Navy as best as possible. Uh, they've had some mic micro successes uh, with the invasion force uh, in the Black Sea. Thank you, Mark. Mark, you had another question, I yeah, think. So yes, yeah. yes, I did. So anyway, well, an additional comment. 
to that one. The question is, it, it, it appears that Russia is greatly weakened by his um, military action, and this is a great time to take advantage of that and destroy everything that can possibly be justified destroying. And uh, the, with the melting of the, the, you know, the, the land of Ukraine, they're not going to be able to get their equipment back out of there. So anyway, uh, on the Asian side, so now that the, the West has done virtually nothing to uh, save Ukraine, what's going to stop uh, China from just using uh, North Korea as a pawn to take South Korea? And uh, it, it appears that we'll do absolutely nothing for that. And for South Korea to be lost to China, that would be an enormous worldwide impact. But that's a great point, Mark, and thanks for making that. Um, uh, and I'm going to kind of maybe expand this a little bit with Bob. We have really um, um, been focusing on China and Taiwan, but really there is the North Korea, South Korea component as well, potentially at play. Would you agree? I agree. And one of China's key national security interests, though, is stability on their border. And one of the wild cards in China border diplomacy is North Korea. In fact, uh, I was actually in the White House when uh, uh, the former uh, Chinese president uh, came to visit President Bush, and we talked about the six party talks in Chinese diplomacy. So we've got a new president now in South Korea. Uh, you have a conservative president in South Korea. You have ready forces from the United States and the Korea, Katusa, uh, there in uh, South Korea. Obviously, uh, if DPRK chose, Kim Jong-un chose to uh, launch artillery attacks against Seoul, uh, it would be, I think, concerning to... Concerning? Concerning could, to the... Blow Seoul, it, half, blow, half blow Seoul up and be very concerning to the Chinese. My, yeah, okay. Getting back to the original point of destability on their border is one of their key uh, national security goals. It would be very destabilizing in the Korean Peninsula to bring the United States in directly. And it would strengthen uh, the alliances, Japan, Australia, uh, even strengthen our posture with regard to Taiwan, because deterrence is different now. Right, it is. Let's go to hey, Len. Hey, thanks for your, thanks for your uh, Thank call you, in, Mark. Mark. Appreciate it. Len, go ahead. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. I kind of agree with Mark. I was thinking about uh, his comment about uh, the military, not the military, but the Navy aspect of this war. And... I can't help but think that if that piece of the puzzle were to be upset a bit, it would take and cause some psychological rethinking, perhaps. Right now, everything's focused on the air war. But if Putin has to fight a war on a different playing field, that could have a different impact on the events. And then the other thing is just a kind of a comment about, well, if it's unfeasible to create a no-fly zone, is it possible to create a no-flow zone? What's that and by that I mean, by that I mean, look at planes require fuel. If that supply line can get interrupted, and I'm not saying it has to be done by air, we're a very creative country. We find ways to get in and out, and the only thing those that we have uh, disturbed her life ever find out is our calling card that's left on the table. Great question. Bob or Eb, do you have a comment? 
Yeah, we've uh, we I we didn't do anything. The uh, <laughs> the, the uh, Russian warship off of Snake Island uh, basically was already destroyed. Uh, the Ukrainian Navy took care of that, so they are doing some work. You know, they you know when the warship decided to tell them to surrender, they responded with "Let's go, Putin." <laughs> and uh, went from there. So there is activity going on right now, Bob. Well, Lynn and also Mark, uh, both of you gentlemen bring up exceedingly good points. The fact is we need to find a way for Putin to lose. We need It's an opportunity for us now because he's stuck. He's got a stalemate uh, right there on his doorstep. There's going to be uh, other things the Ukrainians will be able to do with regard to the Russian Federation Navy. You mentioned the uh, logistics. You know, every particular uh, army to do. Heaven. Washington knew that you win the war on, on logistics, logistics and and and, uh, and and spying, right? And part of the logistics that's going on right now is you've had the third major company, Baker Hughes, say they're going to pull out of Russia right now. You, you've had uh, uh, Schlumberger, you've had Halliburton, Halliburton and, and now Baker Hughes. They're pausing Russian operations. That is going to hurt Russia. Will it be significant? Well, I don't know how significant, enough. but it's going to be significant enough to get their attention and cause them to lose some energy resources. I was going to say on the logistics point, though, it's interesting that President Zelensky today has called for a dialogue with the Russian Federation because he has he's got some momentum now with regard to the stalemate and what's right. happening with their forces. If he gets additional arms, uh, they can certainly do more damage logistically to support to the Russian effort to support their forces. So well, one so one point on on logistics and it's it's replacement of spent ammunition. Um, when we want to order more stingers or more javelins, okay, we send Raytheon a check for 80 80 million dollars, okay, and then we get those in 2 years, right? The Russians can't just you know, poof create all kinds of new weapons they've they've shot up thousands of cruise missiles thousands of rounds of of artillery thousands of of other types of munitions what is their ability and to rearm? hundreds and thousands of gallons of petrol right well their ability to rearm is they've got other frontier forces that they'll have to move uh it's a huge country as you know number one in the world 11 time zones they'll move things from vladivostok across yeah. it'll take time to get there also, they've got the North uh, the Kaliningrad uh, enclave in between the uh, uh, the Baltic states uh, and Poland. Uh, that's a logistic uh, airlift opportunity there. They can bring more uh, forces uh, and materials coming. So in the question there. is, why haven't they? Because if they have that. They why haven't they? They don't have the airfields that they needed to in terms of what the plan is. And if you look at what they did to decimate that forty mile column there they they killed the uh, first couple vehicles dispersed the actual formation which was the uh, sustainment force getting to, for Kiev itself right. and then finally why haven't they because the military commanders the generals have been killed uh, some of them that were on that line of communication coming from the east in particular uh, the ones that are coming from uh, the uh, Chech, uh, Kursk, Kursk area line yeah. of, uh, from the east so they haven't been able to get that eastern door closed so the kiev has the south and the west still open yeah so um this has been called the tic-tac war because so much of the fighting and destruction is documented by guys using their telephones online but isn't it still difficult to trust news and government reports we hear a lot about russian losses but what do we know reliably 
about Ukrainian military loss of life at this point in time. I mean, we, I, I try listening for it. I don't, I don't see it. I don't read it. I don't, I don't hear about it. What's going on? Well, I try to get every little piece of information I You're can. You're a much better and, source of that information than me. And I, I have uh, the one website uh, is the Institute for the Study of War, uh, which is General Jack Keane, the former uh, vice yeah. chair of the U.S. Army. Uh, you see him consistently. They're looking at the losses of uh, of the Ukrainian forces as well. Uh, the best estimate I have is about equivalent to what the Russian forces have lost, between four and 7,000 of the Ukrainian forces themselves. But that's a, me- a more meaningful number for the Ukrainians than yes. it is for the Russians. That's but then you have all the, the militia and the partisans and so on that are arming up as well. But they're not they're not trained soldiers. They're not, but boy, they sure have uh, been good for building up hard targets against tanks. You've seen some of the uh, the cross uh, crossbows they've got on the streets against tanks. They also have uh, Molotov cocktails on the local level. But I think the Ukrainian special forces, especially the airborne special forces, were very, very capable. And they have been doing, inflicting uh, great damage to the Russian Federation and focused on uh, taking over. There was a great uh, art, recent article about the, uh, the airfield that was just a little bit northwest of, uh, of Kiev that the Russians took over, special forces, but right. the Ukrainians took it back. So they've lost because of this special force to special force uh, victory by the Ukrainian side. So it's almost as if the longer Russia is there, and the longer Zelensky does not concede anything or get killed or get killed, the worse it is for Russia. That's they're, right. they're just absolutely right. I think Zelensky itself is uh, the moral leader, the courageous leader. I think uh, once the truth continues to diplomatically communicate back to Mr. Putin as well as his generals. Uh, one thing they've done in other wars I haven't seen yet is they put the pictures of the generals on a couple uh, two-page sheet so that you, you can declare that these are also war criminals. Right. As, as the International Criminal Court and the International Court of Justice, moral and uh, authorized bodies are investigating and they're gathering the TikTok information and all the different media information about the Russian conduct of war. And Mr. Putin is the aggressor. He he started the war. So uh, in addition to an oil crisis that we're all feeling, there's also going to be a wheat crisis and a barley crisis because uh, that country, Ukraine, produces a tremendous amount of wheat and barley. They do. Correct? And this this is planting time right now. It's planting time. They need the seed. They need the fertilizer. They need the peace. To actually yeah, have, you need people have the to weave. even the, the even if they're mechanized, you need machines and men and women out out doing the work. Yeah, and we've need, got two and a half minutes left, so let's. Do I need to wrap it up? No, not yet. But just don't go off on a tangent. We can't finish. Right. Nope. But to your point, uh, Bruce, is the fact is that you'll see this particular uh, outcome, and it's an effect of the wheat exports from Ukraine and also Russia which will have an impact on food prices in the United States and also with the World Food Program, who still is responsible for providing development aid uh, globally. So this is a big concern. The other one, too, for the United States in particular is potash. Right. Look, yes. at, look at fertilizer and look at the, the prices of it as well. Yep, yep, absolutely. Uh, so one last thing uh, I want to uh, bring up is deep fakes. There, there's a, there's now beginning to be some some cyber and some kind of internet war. You know, trying to um, uh, fake out the public and so on. Um, 
how do you how do you propose that they defeat that kind of an effort the ukrainians i think the ukrainians have to rely on themselves but at the same time on american intelligence and rapid agile uh, responses with regard to assessment i think our intelligence services we're also with the uh, uk nato uh, german that we are looking at assessing the russian deeds did this indeed occur and if it didn't occur we can say that this is a a uh, false threat well um it's been a pretty uh exciting show uh the monster of uh of all special editions and action-packed broadcast thanks very much for coming and helping yeah. us out and today Bob. Much, and sadly this isn't not the end no this, this is not over this is no. probably just the beginning just yes well and unfortunately the humanitarian when, when all the cameras leave there the humanitarian uh, problems, that's really when they're going to start. And uh, the devastation on homes, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of, of homes that have been uh, destroyed. And, uh, you know, you've got almost 3 million Ukrainians right now uh, in in uh, other countries. Yeah. So, hey, uh, that's all the time we have for today's show. Bob, thank you very much. Bruce, it's always good. Hope you enjoyed listening to John Elliott and Robert Wells. Uh, thank you to all our sponsors. Until next week, this is Ev Wilkinson and Bruce Ash and Bob Wells wishing you a very pleasant afternoon. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the, the cities and the counties around have initiatives for artists. I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap, and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard. 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday. This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. If you think what's happening in Ukraine can't happen here, think again. Look who's occupying the White House. This is one of many things our forefathers predicted and ensured those rights in our Constitution. We manage money for gun owners. Call me at 777-1911 or wilkinsonwealthmgmt.com.